This morning, we're wrapping up our Why Work sermon series. And today, we'll be focusing on our motivation for work and also what difference our work makes in how we, or what difference our faith makes in how we treat those around us at work. We'll be reading Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 to 9 to help us wrestle with those questions this morning. This is God's word for us from the book of Ephesians. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. This morning, we'll start by talking about our motivation for work, and then we'll talk about how we treat those who have more power than us, and then those who have less power than us at our work. But before we go there, we need to kind of take a step back and look at the foundation for everything that we're going to talk about today. And our motivation for work begins with the fact that God has provided everything we need. In Christ, God has provided everything we need. Jesus once told the story of an unmerciful servant. It's one of his parables. And he tells the story of a king who was looking through his accounts and he realized that one of his servants owed him 500 million dollars. 500 million dollars. So the king calls the servant in front of him and says, you need to pay this money back. And you can guess how possible it would be for that guy to pay this money back. I would guess none of us have 500 million bucks in spare change down our couch cushions or anything. So the servant just begs and pleads with the king, give me patience. I I don't have it, but patience, just give me time. I mean, it's hopeless. He's never going to get that much money, but he just begs and pleads for patience. And the king, the king relents. The king cancels the whole $500 million, says, we'll forget about it. We'll move on. It's done. It's over. The debt is forgiven. And the servant says, thank you, and he gushes. And then he walks out, and on his way out, he bumps into another servant who owes him a couple hundred bucks. And he grabs that guy by the neck, and he chokes him, and he screams at him, give me the money, give me the money today. And the other servant, in between being choked, said, let me breathe, but time, patience, give it to you later. And the first servant says, no. And he has the second servant thrown into jail over a couple hundred bucks, because he wants that money. And when the king hears about this, he responds how you might expect. This guy, I just forgave him $500 million, and he can't let a couple hundred bucks go. And so the king throws that first servant into jail until he can pay back all the money that he owed the king, which is to say he throws him in jail until forever. Now, that parable is about forgiveness, about how we should forgive others who wrong us because God has forgiven us so much. But I think it's also about how God provides for us and about gratitude. God has given us absolutely everything good that we have. Every moment that we are alive, every breath that we take is a gift 
from God. God gives us more than we could ever earn or make for ourselves. And on top of that, we owe God an infinite debt because we're rebels. We've sinned against him. We've misused our lives. We've taken the gifts of time and resources that he's given us, and we've used them to do wrong things, and we've wasted them on meaningless and trivial things. We built up a debt that we could never pay off. But in Christ Jesus, God has taken care of that debt. It's been paid. It's gone through the work of Jesus on our behalf. And so the natural response to that for all of our lives, and specifically for our work, is gratitude. Since God has provided so much for us, our work becomes about showing gratitude to Him. The unique Christian motivation for work is that through our work, we can serve God. Our work gives us a way to show gratitude to God. General Peter Pace served in the Marines for decades upon decades. He had a distinguished career all the way up through the ranks. His final posting was as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Really accomplished guy. And the story is told of him, or maybe he even told the story, that every Christmas he'd sit down... He'd take out a piece of paper and he'd make two columns, a list of reasons to stay in the service and a list of reasons to go on to something else. One column of reasons to stay, one column of reasons to go. And every year, at the end of his list of reasons to stay, he would end up writing, I owe more than I could ever pay. I owe more than I could ever pay. And General Pace wasn't talking about money. He was talking about all of the blessings that he'd received and the fact that he could never repay them, no longer how long he served. All of us owe more than we can pay. All of us owe more than we can pay. And that's not a burden. It's a blessing, and it's a reason for gratitude. And it can transform everything that we do, especially our work. We owe more to God than we could ever pay back. Everything is a gift. And so whatever we do, we can do it out of gratitude to God. So whatever work you have, whether you work in a factory or an office, whether you're driving a truck or staying home taking care of the kids, whether you're volunteering, whatever you do, you can do it in service to God. Now, I suspect intellectually that makes a lot of sense to most of us, but I also suspect that day-to-day we struggle with how to actually make gratitude to God the centerpiece of our work. Life comes at us fast, and it's hard to keep God in the focus. At almost every stage of life these days, our lives are just full. When we're young, we've got places to go and experiences to have, friends to make, a career to figure out, all kinds of things to do. And then as we settle down a little bit, maybe we start a family and we have little kids and life is just busy day after day after day after day. And then the kids get a little bit older and they've got sports things and different events and we're running, 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 running. And then the kids get to college and we have to pay for college, so we got to keep running, running, running. And then we've got a few years to cap off our careers and then finally we retire and there's all those things that we wanted to do for all those decades that we can finally get around to. And that's actually a pretty good life that I've just described But where in that life do we ever have time or energy to really focus on serving the Lord? 
where in that life consumed by activity do we ever have time to really put God at the center? Now, I don't want to add just one more thing to your to-do list. But maybe I want to ask you to rethink your to-do list. To rethink how and why you're living. God invites us to something more. And so in all areas of life, but especially in our work today, let's not put off serving God until later. And let's not say, oh, I did my part, I'm done, I'm going to live how I want now. From the time that you become a believer until the day you die, God has a calling for your life. There is no retirement date on service to the Lord. So whether you're just working a first job to kind of figure out what you want to do with your life, or whether you're in school getting ready for the next step, or whether you're coasting through a few years, or whether you're just sitting back and relaxing after decades of work, God has a calling for you. And each of us is called to put gratitude to God at the very center of our lives, to have that guide why we do what we do and also how we do it. Maybe that means we need to radically rework our lives sometimes and do something different. Maybe it means we look at our lives and we do pretty much the same things. We just do them with a different motivation and a different sense of call. We should live our whole lives as if we're serving the Lord because we are. And that gives us a deep, deep motivation to work well. We work to show our gratitude to the Lord. And working with that motivation changes us, and it should also change how we treat those around us at our work. So first, as we think about how we treat people at our work, let's talk about how we treat people who have more power than us. In Ephesians, Paul talks about masters. Today, we talk more about bosses or employees or employers. And Ephesians tells us to obey our masters. We're called to obey those who have authority over us in our work. Now, before we dig too deep into that, we need to talk just a little bit about slavery. When we hear texts in the Bible, when we hear anyone mention the word slavery, we think of American slavery, which was pretty much irredeemably bad, right? Race-based, the color of your skin determined your status. Lifelong, there was no way out of it. Involuntary, people were forced into slavery. Well, slavery in New Testament times was rough, but it wasn't quite that. Often, slavery was for a limited period of time. Slaves often were treated well. Some became doctors. Some became teachers. Some became so well off that slaves themselves had slaves. People would sometimes sell themselves into slavery for a few years to pay off a large debt. So certainly, slavery in the ancient world wasn't a good thing. Masters had too much power over slaves. There wasn't enough accountability There were a lot of problems with the system, and as Christianity came more and more toward the fore, slavery more and more disappeared. But all of that is to say that when Ephesians talks about slaves and masters here, it's not necessarily talking about what we we would think of as slavery. Probably the closer parallel is between employees and employers, between people in the workplace. So Ephesians doesn't directly say that slavery is wrong, but it did redefine that master-slave or that employer-employer relationship in really surprising ways. We'll start by looking at one way that surprises us, 
And then after that, we'll look at a way that would have surprised, even shocked, the original audience of this book. And maybe the great surprise for us is that Ephesians tells slaves to obey their masters. And it does this in pretty strong language. If anything, Ephesians tells slaves to be more, not less, but more obedient to those who have authority over them. They're told to obey their earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as they would obey Christ. Slaves are told to obey their masters, not just when their masters are looking or when they'll get credit for it, but all the time. Now that sounds maybe even oppressive to our modern ears. We'll talk in a little bit about maybe why it isn't that. But for right now, notice how Ephesians redefines who is really being served here. The original word in the Greek for master is identical to the word for Lord. Master and Lord are the same word in this text. And Ephesians plays with that. And when it tells slaves to obey their masters, what it's really saying ultimately is obey the Lord Jesus. When Ephesians tells people to obey their masters, what it's really saying is serve the Lord Jesus through what you do. Masters, bosses, employers, they have authority over us in some sense now, but it's really the Lord who has authority over all of our lives. And so our service is really to the Lord Jesus. All the work that we do, we're really serving the Lord through that work, not any particular human being. And that gives us motivation to serve our bosses well, even if they aren't great bosses, even if they aren't perfect people. We don't serve them because they're great. We serve them because through serving them, we serve the Lord. Now imagine for a minute how different your work would be if you were actually directly working for Jesus. If God were your boss, imagine how different things might be. Now, C.S. Lewis actually gives a helpful picture of where I'm going here in his book, The Screwtape Letters. And he gives us this situation. Imagine if Jesus came to you in bodily form tomorrow. If Jesus himself appeared to you and said, today, I want you to serve me the whole day. Now, presumably, all of us would say, sure, whatever you want, I'll do it. Anything you saved for me to do today, I will do. And then says C.S. Lewis, imagine if Jesus told you, live your regular life. Live your regular life. Go to work. Do your job. That's what I want you to do today. Just go to work and do your job. Now, if that actually happened, you might almost feel let down, right? You're all geared up to do this amazing, incredible thing straight from God And then you're just told to go and do what you do every day and do it in service to the Lord. And the thing is that that's the situation we're actually in. So Jesus probably hasn't come to you in bodily form and said, this is what I want you to do today. But through the Bible, God tells us every single day, whatever we do, we're to do it as if we're serving the Lord Jesus. When you next go to work, you are obeying God's call to serve Him. 
And one of the clearest ways that we can serve God through our work is by respectfully obeying our employers. We obey our boss's instructions because in doing so, we give honor to the Lord. We respect our bosses, even the difficult ones, because we owe respect to the Lord. We work hard and we work honestly for our employers because that's a way of working hard for the Lord Jesus. The Lord has given us everything. And when we do our work well, when we serve even these earthly masters who so often aren't so great, even when we're doing that, it's a way of living out our gratitude to the Lord. So that's how we can respond to those who have authority over us. But now let's talk about the situation where we have authority over other people. And Ephesians tells us to take care of those who we have authority over. In our work, we're supposed to take care of those we have authority over. Now, we, were, we, might, we might be surprised by Ephesians telling slaves to obey their masters. But for the original audience of the book, this point would have been the real shocker. The surprise would have been that Ephesians treated slaves as real people. For us, that's not remarkable. But for the original audience, this would have been shocking, scandalous, revolutionary even. A lot of Ephesians chapter 5 and 6 is what we call a household code. And household codes were really very common in the ancient world. They give instructions about how to live with those who you encountered every day. And so here in Ephesians, we see instructions for parents and children, for husbands and wives, and then here for slaves and masters. But this household code that we read in Ephesians is remarkably different than almost all the others in the ancient world. Many of the ancient codes would give advice to masters about how to treat their slaves, but they never took any notice of slaves. They didn't even address them as people. And so for Ephesians to speak directly to slaves was to redefine their status. This is an almost unprecedented move in the ancient world. It was revolutionary to speak to the people at the bottom of the ladder and say, you still matter. What you do with your life matters. You are important enough that I will speak directly to you. Slaves even were part of the body of Christ and they were worthy of notice and their work mattered. And then toward the end of our text for today, when it switches to talking about masters, the first thing it says is, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Respect them, do well by them, and so on and so forth. But in the ancient world, you would never do that. You would never, ever tell a master, treat your slaves the same way they treat you. You would never put them on the same footing. It just wasn't done. One of the classic summaries of slavery in the ancient world was said by Seneca, written by him, and he said, your slaves are your enemies. Your slaves are your enemies. And from that flowed the idea that you had to keep them down. Don't let them think they're too important. Beat them up if you have to. Punish them. Threaten them. Do what it takes to keep them under your authority. But Ephesians totally turns that system on its head. It tells masters to take the opposite approach. It explicitly tells them to stop threatening their slaves. And then it says that both Christian slaves and Christian masters ultimately serve the same master, the Lord Jesus. 
This book reminds masters that really they are fellow slaves. Fellow slaves with all those who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Christianity is a great leveler. It brings up the people at the bottom and it brings down the people at the top. And it puts all of us on equal fronting, equal footing in front of the Lord Jesus Christ. Employees and employers have the same standing in front of Jesus. And that should transform how we treat people over whom we have authority at work. As much as we're able to, Christian employers should treat their employees well. Shockingly well, even. In Jesus, God provides everything we need. And as bosses, as supervisors, as employers, we should have something of that same goal with our employers. And that means that we care for and we serve our employees instead of threatening or abusing them. Before their employees, their people. Before their employees, their people made in the image of God. And so we should treat them with grace and respect. And there are even times when we who have power and authority should inconvenience or disadvantage ourselves for the sake of our employees. There was a woman once who started coming to a church and she'd run out as soon as the service was over. And after a few weeks, the pastor was finally able to catch her and say, hey, you know, notice you've been coming. What made you start coming here? And the woman said, well, you know, a couple months ago at my work, I made a really, really big mistake. I mean, big mistake, lost us a huge account. I probably should have lost my job. I maybe should have just lost my career in this field. It was a big mistake. But my boss went to his superiors, and for some reason, he took the blame. It wasn't his fault. He didn't owe me a favor. I, he just went and took the blame. And it probably cost him his bonus for this year. It probably set his career path back. But he took the blame for me. And when I heard that, I went to him and I asked, why in the world did you do that? And my boss replied, well, since you ask, I'm a Christian. Jesus is Lord of my life. And Jesus laid down his life for me. And so in my life, I try to help other people. I try to do what I can to advantage other people, even if it sometimes costs me something. And the woman said, you know, I thought that was kind of crazy. But I also thought, I have got to see what this is all about. What in the world could possibly make someone live this way? So she asked her boss what church she went to, and she started attending because she wanted to see what in the world would make someone do such crazy things to help someone else. As bosses, we should see every responsibility we have as a chance to witness to God. Now, each job and each situation might require a different approach. I don't know that there's a one-size-fits-all for this. But in any job, we should strive to always be fair and even to be more than fair to those who we have authority over. It doesn't mean we need to be a pushover. And part of the job of a manager is to push people to do their best and to do good for the company and for society as a whole. But part of our role as a worker, part of our role as a Christian boss is to take care of people. Through our work, we have the opportunity to model the Lord Jesus Christ to those whom we have authority over. 
And if you want to go really big picture, you can think about all the people around the world and all the needs there are out there. This week, we have a team in Honduras helping orphans who are in desperate need. This week, refugees, immigrants, people in need have been in the news hugely. Even in our city, there are people who have huge needs. You can make this picture as big as you want. But I think there's a principle of proximity here, and I want to focus this morning specifically on our work lives. And the principle of proximity is that first we help those who are close to us. The first thing we do is help the person in front of us. And maybe somehow in your work you can find a way to help people. Maybe you can use your position to give someone a shot when you're not quite 100% sure that they can handle it. Maybe you can go the extra mile to help someone through a rough patch that maybe you don't have to, but you can. For many of us, when we first started looking for work or when we look for a job, we just call up a dad or uncle, grandparent, old school friend, and we get a job. Show up at work in a week or two and we're on with life. But a lot of people don't have those kind of connections. They don't have the margin in their life to really thrive. And so if you have power in your workplace, is there anything you can do to be that connection, to be that helper for somebody? Is there anything you can do through your work to show the people who you have authority over that they matter, to be the kind of master and Lord that Jesus Christ has been in our lives? Now, really helping someone else is almost always inconvenient for us. Often, it's not to our advantage. Sometimes, being the type of master, being the type of boss that Christianity calls us to be, that Jesus calls us to be, sometimes that hurts us. Sometimes it inconveniences us. Sometimes it disadvantages us. But taking on disadvantages, taking on disadvantages to advantage other people, It's the Christian thing to do. The Lord has given so, so generously to us. And so we're called to pass that grace on to other people. We're blessed to be a blessing. When God puts us in positions of power, he does so for us to model him. We all always owe more than we can pay. All of us, we owe more than we can pay. Every breath we take is a gift from God. Every day we have is a present that we could never earn. And in Jesus, God has canceled the debt that we owe him. And so how can we respond but with gratitude? Everything we do can be an act of service to the Lord. And so everything we do should be an act of service to the Lord. Every day in our work, whatever it is, in how we work and how we treat the people around us, we have the opportunity to show gratitude to the Lord. When we obey our earthly masters, we're showing respect and gratitude to the Lord our God. When we do our ordinary everyday work well, we're serving the Lord through it. And when we treat other people well, when we treat people with care and with dignity, we're modeling what the Lord has been like in our lives. The Lord helped us even when we didn't, even when we didn't deserve it. So why do we work? We work to show our gratitude to the Lord Jesus Christ for all he has done for us. We work to glorify God and to serve others. And what what better, greater task could we ever ask for?